The Bible is, is filled with all kinds of imagery about shepherds. Uh, Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were both shepherds. And of course, King David began as a shepherd. Shepherds in ancient Israel, they worked with, uh, among others, the broad-tailed Syrian variety of sheep. Have you ever seen the broad-tailed, fatty-tailed uh, sheep? Um, they, they're, from what I gather, uh, forgive me if, um, if you have sheep and, and you know better than me, but from what I gather, they're particularly docile and easily led. And, and that means that they're uh, subject to all of the circumstances around them. So if, if the weather is there, they're just kind of like, oh, no, it's raining. What should I do? Um, if, if there's a wolf around, they're like, oh, that's too bad. There's a wolf there. You know, it's like they don't really have a lot of uh, uh, internal motivation or something. And they kind of just wander around. They're very docile, easily led, which means that, that the shepherd needs to be there or they're not going to live for very long. And, and in this uh, particular variety, they've got the, the, the big horns for the, the males, the rams, and that use the, the females. They don't have horns on the Syrian fatty-tailed sheep. Now, in the spring, a shepherd would take the, the sheep out of their, their uh, pen near his home, and he'd lead them to graze on some grass that's growing in a nearby village field. And easy, easy stuff to do. He'd take them there. He'd bring them back. It was, it was a nice... Uh, nice time. But as the, the crops, the spring harvest happened, they would cut down the, the grain and, and the shepherds would be allowed to bring their sheep into the farmer's fields to eat the stubble that was left over after they had um, uh, harvested the, the grain. And it was also a time in the spring where they would shear their sheep and the ewes were, were having uh, the, the little lambs and the, the goats were having their kids. It was a time of celebration and they would have they would have feasts and, uh, and, and parties, and it was, it was a good time. But after the grain harvest, the farmers, it started to get warm uh, and, and less rain, and so the farmers would have to take their, um, their, their sheep farther away so that they could get a cooler environment and also so they could find more green grass for them to feed on. And they might take them up into the rocky slopes. And, and these, these are sheep. You've seen the, the, the sheep or the goats or whatever on the side of the mountains, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's common for them to, to eat up and graze uh, near the, the rocky parts of the mountain. But, but you need a place where it's not too rocky, not too thorny, because they can easily get their ears torn in the thorns. And, and, you know, if you get a sheep kind of over on its side in a crack of between a couple rocks, it's not going to be easy to get it out. So, so the shepherd's going to be careful about where he takes them. And, and so he leads them through a path up into the hills into some grassy place where they can feed or some cool stream of water with a, a, a pool that's really slow moving or um, staying still. And they can uh, lay down there and they can drink. They can be cool when it's hot in the middle of the day. The shepherds were so familiar with their sheep that they would name them. And they knew that this sheep was named, I don't know, Sally, and that that sheep's mom was this one over here who had another name. And that grandma was, they, they knew the whole lineage of their sheep. They knew their names. In fact, they spent so much time with their sheep that the sheep would know their voice. And, and when the, maybe they're up there in the, the, the rocky hills and their makeshift um, open pen there in the, in, in the open air, 
um, was, it was nearby the wolves and the owls and the hyenas and things like this. And so uh, an owl might spook it or a hyena cry might spook the, the sheep. And they knew the shepherd's voice and they knew that they could be confident and calm when they heard his voice. And so they're spooked and the shepherd calms them with a soothing voice. He might take them into a cave and, and protect them from the rain sometimes. Um, but he's, he's night and day with this flock during that hot, dry season when he's taking them up into the mountains. During the frigid nights, the shepherd would wear sheepskin because it would get cold even, you know, even during the dry season, it'd get cold at night. And so he'd wear sheepskin, turn it inside out so the, the, the fleece side was against his skin and keep him warm, keep the rain off, things like that. Um, he'd carry with him a bag. Um, it, it would have just the, the regular kinds of things that they might eat out in the field. So maybe some dates, some, some dried cheese, some, um, some dried bread, um, some olives, dried fruit. He'd also carry a weapon called a rod. A rod would be about maybe a three-foot length of, of um, uh, maybe a tree branch of some kind that was uh, thicker at one end than the other. And at that thick end, he would, put, he would embed some uh, sharp shale. So if he was going to get into a fight, he was guaranteed to win. You don't want to fight a hyena with the possibility of you losing. That's not a good prospect. So this is a, this is a pretty significant weapon for the shepherd. He would also carry a staff. And the staff, is, it's a good thing to lean on uh, when you're out in the middle of a, a, an open field and there's, there's uh, just all your sheep surrounding you. And you want to you keep a watch over everything. But it's also a good thing if uh, you're walking in the, the rough area of the, the, the hills. You want something to, to keep you stable while you're walking and, and uh, so you don't fall. But what if a sheep falls? Well, the shepherd's, um, the shepherd's staff had a crook at the end, and it was just designed nicely to, to put in the back of a sheep's head, um, right there in the neck, so the sheep could lean its head back, and you could pull and draw that sheep up um, into a safe place if it was in the, a, a crack between a couple rocks. So the, the, sh- the shepherd's rod was also um, kind of a, a safety thing or a, a, uh, a rescue tool. Now, when, the, um, when there was danger, he had to have some tools. Obviously, the rod was there. But what if, what if the danger was over there, and the sheep were over there, and he's at this other end of the sheep? He needs something to, to get the danger away. So he has a, a sling, too. And with that sling, he can lob a rock and, and land it on the opposite side of a sheep that's going too far. And the sheep would frighten just a little bit and realize he's, he's not in the right place and he'd come back to the fold. And then he could also use that, that sling, as you know from the story of David, to, to really hurt something. He can, he can hit a, a wolf or a, a jackal or something uh, from quite a distance away and harm it or at least scare it off, potentially even kill it. They might even carry with them a, a tool for enjoying themselves when they have these long days with the sheep. And it might have been a little pan pipe or something like that, or it could have been a, um, a harp like David is reported to have, have played. When you think of David protecting his sheep, putting his life between the danger and, and his flock, it's no wonder that 
that God uses this metaphor of a shepherd to describe the Messiah. You can look at it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He will tend his flock. This is the Messiah. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And so Jesus, when he comes, the Messiah in, in, in person there, he adopts the, the, the shepherd metaphor and he makes it his own. And you can read it in John chapter 10. Turn there if you don't mind. John chapter 10. And uh, we'll start with verse 3. John chapter 10 is a beautiful story that Jesus describes, and he's talking about the dangers that the sheep are in, encountering. He's talking about false shepherds that are coming in and, and trying to impersonate, um, but he, he makes it really clear in, in verse 3. He says, to the, the good shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This isn't some distant relationship that God has with his sheep. Jesus is saying the shepherd knows you. He knows your name. He has an intimate relationship with you. Go forward to verse 9, and he says that I am the door. Now, if you're in the pasture land and and, uh, he's not at home with the sheep, he's out there in, in the the rocky hills or something like this, he makes a makeshift pen, but in order for... Um, for, for protecting the sheep and to make sure that they don't get out and make sure nothing bad gets in. He'll, he'll lay down and the shepherd will make his bed in the doorway. And Jesus says, I'm the doorway. I'm the thing that stands between my sheep and danger. Anything that wants to enter has to enter by me. But then he, he makes this statement, he who will be saved, or he will be saved, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Maybe he's talking about that laying down in the doorway, but we also know that he laid down his life at the cross. He put his life in the place of ours when danger came. And and this, this good shepherd, if you look in verse 14, he says it again, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own. Another intimate, I know you. And then he says, and my own know me. Now, sometimes we read that and we're like, oh, do I really know Jesus? You do. Jesus is, is the, the good shepherd that has been guiding your life. Uh, it's not a, a strange thing to know. You know the difference between your own voice And when God is speaking to your heart and saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, you know. You're sheep, you're his sheep, and you know him. In verse 15, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And when someone begins with these words, the Lord is my shepherd, what do you think of? It's one of the most well-known passages in scripture. It's a beautiful poem and a really wonderful illustration of God's interaction with us. And, and I think it's one of the most precious passages in scripture. It's filled with beautiful ideas 
And, and I, I think it's something that we can connect with. It's not just David's idea when he wrote it back in the day, but it's something that we can say in our context. So let's turn there in Psalm 23. And I'm going to read through the whole psalm, and then we'll go back and briefly touch on the, the, the six verses that are here and how it relates to our experience. And I, I think that if you, if you start to, to process this, you'll realize this is a really good time the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new decade, it's a good time to think about a shepherd. A shepherd is a leader, a leader who, who guides and draws. And we need a leader this year, don't we? Amen. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This passage begins with a statement the, the shepherd David writing this passage says, the Lord is my shepherd. That word Lord is the, the Hebrew word um, for Yahweh. Uh, we don't know how to pronounce that, by the way. It's just the best guess we have. Um, and and that, that word, it was introduced back in Moses' time when, God, when Moses is like, what should we call you? And, and God says, call me the I am. I am that I am. And, and then later in the New Testament, we find Jesus claiming to be the I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Clearly saying that he is this Yahweh. Jesus says of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, which was a big deal to Israel because Israel knew that the vine was God. I am the good shepherd, referencing, of course, Psalm 23. When we read Psalm 23, we, we can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, but we can also confidently put in there, Jesus is my shepherd. David goes on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this is, this is David, the guy who, he became a, a popular general in Saul's army, and then Saul got jealous. And so David had to run and flee for his life. And he had a bunch of people that ran with him. And can you imagine being in the hill country, not having a, a, a farm plot, not having a, an industry to earn money, and needing to feed what became a group of 400 or more people? When David says, I shall not want, he's recognizing that God is leading his band of people. God is shepherding them and, and he can trust God to provide. They would provide services. You know, a, a city might need some protection from the Philistines. He would help them out. Uh, a, a farmer or maybe a shepherd would need protection and, and he would surround them uh, during their time of harvest or while they were out in the fields and they would make sure that, that nothing hurt that, that um, group. And in exchange, they would give some food to provide for this family, this group of 400 or so people. David knew that even though he might do some effort in trying to provide for his family, his, his uh, band of people, 
It was really God that was shepherding them and feeding them and providing for them. In verse 2, he goes on and says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This God that David is singing about is, is a shepherd who cares for the daily needs of his sheep, paying attention to the changes that we experience and, and the needs that we have. He sees the future and he understands and what is needed in order to provide the blessings that he intends for us. Green pastures and still waters. You might say that's the good life that God has intended for us. And, and sometime this year, we're going to have to explore Matthew 5 and 6 and talk about the good life. Because the, 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 the results of sin is sin and death, right? And the opposite of that would be good life. And God has a plan for a good life for you and me. And in Matthew 5 and 6, he describes that. So we'll have to do a series on what the good life is and explore what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but for now, it's, uh, I think, sufficient for us to recognize that the good life is something God has planned for us and that, that he is leading us into. We've, we've had a, a decade filled with all kinds of ups and downs and strange things happening and exciting things happening. Um, we've had our, our share of heartaches and our share of joys in this last period of time. Especially most recently, we've had some heartaches. But looking forward into this next decade, we need a leader, don't we? We need, we need somebody that will lead us to good places. And it's either going to be me leading myself, or it's going to be me trusting a good shepherd to lead me. How many of you like to think of yourself as, as docile sheep? <laughs> a couple hands raised. I like to be in charge of my life. That's me. Uh, if somebody wants to come in and tell me how to run my life, I'm going to be like, thank you for those thoughts. <laughs> We're probably not going to be as good friends from now on. <laughs> I try not to let that, that happen. But the, the, the feeling that I have, and maybe it's you too, I like to be in charge of my life. I, ha- I like to have agency. I like to think that I can direct the path that I'm on. But if we really think about it, our lives... We just have such a sliver of time that we've experienced. The oldest of us have lived only a, uh, maybe a, a hundred years. And in the scheme of, of history, a hundred years is, is not much at all. And so for me, I, I've not even lived half that, a lot less than half that. And, uh, and so I don't know anything, if you really think about it. My wisdom is just so short-sighted. And that's the reality with all of us. We really only see a little bit in the past and right now. But Jesus, he sees the future. And he has the whole history of of the world and the universe as as wisdom to guide him. He knows the path we should take. And and if if we trust him, then he will lead us to these good places of green pasture and still waters where we can have a good life. The good life includes a life lived in the Spirit, the Spirit who promises that He'll give us fruit like this love, joy, peace, patience. Doesn't that sound like resting in green pastures and drinking from cool waters? Patience and love and peace. In verse 3, David adds a little bit to his story. He says, He restores my soul. This word restore. um, The Hebrew word really means to bring back or to turn back. Is there another word in the Bible that you can think of that also means to turn back or to bring back? Repent. 
You might say here, he repents my soul. Did you know that repentance is a gift? Repentance is a gift. Think about it as though you're one of those sheep and you're at the edge of the safe pasture field and you're getting close to the briars and and the shepherd looks over there and he sees you and he says, you know what? That's not going to be the best for them. They're going to tear their ears in those briars. It's going to hurt. And so what what does the shepherd do? What's the gift the shepherd gives? He winds up that sling and he throws a rock and it and it startles the sheep. It might not be fun for that moment. The heart jumps and the, the blood pressure rises a bit, but, but he realizes this is not the place to be. What would you rather have? Torn ears or a little bit of frighten? The sheep is better off because that shepherd repented him of his direction. <laughs> God is doing that all the time with our lives, isn't he? He's reminding us, hey, hey, not that direction. I've got a better place. Come back, come back. We've got a better situation for you. To turn back. Now, he might also come and, and, and help the sheep in a direction as well. But uh, one way or the other, the shepherd's going to redirect that sheep. And I know he's, he's redirecting our lives as well. David had his experiences with going astray. His redirection happened when prophets like Samuel and Nathan stood in his face and told him God's words. Do we have prophets that can stand in our face and tell us God's words? We have God's Bible, don't we? The entirety of the the prophets and the law and the New Testament epistles we have as guides to help lead us and to help repent us of our wrong directions. God's word is an essential tool that he uses to shepherd us. And then he he makes a statement that he leads me in paths of righteousness. The, The Hebrew word can be literally translated right paths. Think of it when you're walking up into the the rocky crags and there, there, there's going to be paths that are bad. If you've ever done rock climbing, you know that there's, there's some places you get to. For me, more, uh, more of, of those places are like this than for maybe some of you. But, but you climb for a little ways and you get to a spot where you can't reach the next hold and you just can't go farther. Um, or if you've gone on a trail into the woods, and sometimes those trails are, are nice until they, they just get blocked by underbrush and, and stuff. That's not a good path. That's not the right path. The right path is the one that leads you to the, the calm waters and the green pastures, right? And, and so the shepherd, he will have been through this before, and he sees farther in the, 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 the distance than the sheep do. The shepherd knows the right path. And, and if we can trust God... God has a right path for us to go on. But we're looking down at our feet, just like those sheep are, wandering along, and we're like, man, this is a rocky path. <laughs> I wonder if this is the right one. <laughs> Maybe I'm following the right, wrong shepherd. <laughs> those questions can easily come into our minds. Does God really lead us down right paths? Psalm 23 says, yes, he does. This good shepherd leads us in right paths. Our personal walk with God needs that direction from the the shepherd. We really don't see much in the future. We don't know the plans he has for us or the direction he's taking us, but we can trust him. And the same is true for our church. God has a direction for this community of believers to go in, a place that he wants us to end up. And I know it's good pastures and it's it's, uh, nice, pure water that he wants us to be drinking. It's, it's growth. The Bible promises that Jesus is building his church here in Boundary County, right? And if that's the case, he's got a plan. 
and the path he's taking us on, sometimes it might be like, what? What are we doing? Where are we going? But if we trust God, if we trust his direction and his leading, then we will end up in the place that he wants us to be. Go to verse 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he just said he leads me in right paths, and now we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, or literally the valley of deep darkness. The word death isn't anywhere in the Hebrew, but uh, the, the idea of deep darkness, what, what darkness is deeper than the, the darkness of death? Uh, sin leads to death. Uh, it, it's it's uh, the darkest of dark, certainly, and, and we know that um, when, when we experience death, uh, the, the fog that comes into our lives, the, the darkness that um, our souls feel. And I know when we, when we think about uh, families like the McIntoshes and the Sheltons and the Schatzels who've recently experienced such death in their, in their families, it, it darkens our hearts a little bit. Not in a bad way, but just in a recognition that this isn't supposed to be how it is. But God leads us in right paths, and sometimes we, we have to look and say, wait, is this the right path? It's dark here. I can't hardly see where I'm going. I don't know what's next. But if we trust, we'll see what, what David responds with. He says, I will fear no evil. Even in this darkness where jackals could come and attack, even in this darkness where I might trip and fall and hit my head, in this darkness, I don't need to fear. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Maybe your darkness is the news of some health problem that is going to change the course of your life. Maybe your darkness is the loss of a friendship that you've treasured. Maybe your darkness is a change in your financial situation that will make things different for you and your family and and profoundly affect you in some way. Maybe your darkness is a theological question or a doubt that, that you've been struggling with. Maybe your darkness is an addiction that has had its grip on you for some period of time. David had many of those same dark times in his life. And, and he assures us from having those same experiences that God, his rod and his staff can comfort, comfort us. The rod. The rod is what the shepherd uses to defend his sheep against evil. When uh, a robber comes to try to steal the sheep, he's got something to, to, to make sure that he knows this is not a good place to steal from. When uh, a jackal or something comes to try to eat the, the sheep, well, he's going he's gonna to dispatch that, that evil pretty quickly. And the sheep can take comfort. They don't have to defend themselves. They've got a shepherd with a rod. And do you remember the story or the, the place in, in Scripture where it says that the Messiah comes with a rod of iron? Have you ever wondered about that? Like, this is, this is a king that, that's supposed to be peaceful, and yet he's got a rod of iron. It's a rod that we can take comfort in because it's a, it's a very effective defense against evil. Isn't that a good message? He puts, he puts his enemies under his feet, those jackals, those thieves. He puts them under his feet with his, with his rod. That, you, know, you know what that means, right? When something's under your feet, it's not good for them. He is victorious, and we can take comfort that in our dark times, God wins the victory. Every time, our good shepherd is victorious. But he says the staff comforts him too. This is what the shepherd uses to, to guide his sheep, to pull them up, and it's the, it is the, the tool of connection. 
we might not actually experience the physical touch of God, but he is close to us, and his tool, his rod, is, is how he, he touches our hearts and our souls and our lives. He interacts with us. And so David says confidently that God is with us. In Psalm 23, the, the psalmist doesn't say that he, the shepherd, creates the dark valley as an object lesson to teach us. Not that we can't learn things when we're in the valley, but it's not his intention. He's taking us to good places. And, and for one reason or another, the dark valleys along the way, he didn't create that specifically for us. But, but the, the psalm does suggest that he takes us through, that he leads us through this place. You know, when we are in a dark place where the possibility of fear exists, we're not sure of what's happening next, that's a really good opportunity to get closer together. You ever notice that? In a dark place, you kind of want to get close to, to, to somebody nearby. You grab their arm because you don't want to bump into something. You're hoping they know where things are and they're not going to bump into something, right? In dark places, we get closer together and, and that's an opportunity that we have. And God gets closer to us. You may have noticed in the first few verses, verses one, two, three, uh, that the, the psalmist is talking about the shepherd as if he's among his sheep, over there sitting on the rock playing his flute, over there, you know, taking care of some other sheep, He's, he's like he's talking to you and me about the shepherd. But then when he gets to verse 4, when it's darkness, he suddenly changes and he refers to God in the first person and he says, you, as though God has come right here with us. He's still talking with us, but it's like you. And he, he, he changes his direction to talking to God. And, and now in this moment, in this dark place, he says, you are with me. You are here. Not just over there on the rock, but right here with me in my pain, in my struggle, in my darkness, in whatever it is I'm facing, you're here comforting us all along the way. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He doesn't stop there, though. It would be nice. That, that's a beautiful picture, but he keeps going, and it's like there's something about the connection we make in the darkness that leads to the next verse in verse 5. He says, in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This, this phrase, in the presence of my enemies, it's used in ancient literature to illustrate victory. You don't, you don't have a feast in the presence of your enemies unless they're in shackles. Unless you're like having a victory feast and saying, ha ha, we got the victory. That's what's happening here. This is a banqueting table of victory. We got through that together. But, but it's not just that God's the, the, the divine host or the divine uh, waiter coming and, and giving you your food and going away. You know, what's your order? And then, and then leaving and getting it for you. No, no, this is, this is the almighty comforter who's drawn you close and sits you down beside him at his banqueting table and he says, let's eat together. There's an intimacy that's here. There's, there's something deeper that we have as a result of that time in the valley. And you know, you probably have experienced this already in your life. When you go through some darkness, God's word becomes richer. The meaning becomes more personal. The intimacy with God grows. 
A banqueting table is exciting, but there's a cost to that intimacy. It's worth paying. It's worth going through that time with God because he draws close and we open our hearts to him in a way that, that we might not have before. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, the woman says about her lover, he brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. This banqueting table in Psalm 23, this is God's love. This closeness and intimacy. He was the shepherd over there when everything was good. He's the shepherd right here next to me, making a connection with me when things are dark. And after this valley, we find a God of deep love. In in our dark valleys, we have an opportunity also to discover the shepherd who laid down his life for us. That's the depth of the love that we experience with him. He's not just the guy who came up and helped us out of a ditch. He's the guy that stood between us and, the, and, and certain death, and he died instead of us. He took our place. He, he stood in that gap so that we could live. David ends Psalm 23 with the closest connection possible. He, he began out there in the field. He gets close in the valley. He's, he's hanging out with us, sitting beside us at this beautiful victory table. But, but he doesn't end with the victory table because all of these things are, are, are transient. They, they only last for a short period of time. You know, we're in the, in the green grass and then we're at, at, the, at the water and then we're in the pen and then we go through the valley and then we eat at the banqueting table and then it goes over again, right? They're temporary, and we still are not, while, the, while we're, we're near God, he's close to us, we're not in his presence because we live in a world that is, that is disconnected from God by sin. And that's not the end of the story. And so Psalm 23 ends with verse 6. He says, surely goodness and mercy. And Jesus, remember, he said, who is good but God? So surely God will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall, this is a a hopeful promise, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not just that shepherd over there on the rock, not just the shepherd that walks through the valley with me. He's not just the shepherd who eats with me, um, occasionally having this feast. He's the shepherd that goes and makes a place for me. When Jesus was about to leave the earth, he talked to the disciples and he said, don't be sad, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says it in chapter, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many... Well, see, that's what we always said, isn't it? In my Father's house are many mansions. It's, it's a bad translation. Because you know what it leads us to think? Well, I live in this little squalor here on earth, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion on my own. What's that song say? Um, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. No, 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 no. This is, this is much better than a mansion because Jesus goes on and says, in my father's house are many rooms. That's the literal translation. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? No. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to your mansion that you may dwell in bounty. 
No, that's not the point. The point is that sin separated us from God. And so God is bringing us back to be with him. Where, that where I am, you may be also. The intimacy in Psalms 23 moves closer when he says, I will dwell in my father's house forever. Jesus is going to make a room for me in his very house. How many of you live in my house? Um, three of you live in my house. There's an intimacy to that. You know, the people that live in my house see me in my PJs. I don't come to church in my PJs. Um, the people that live in my house get to see me in, in, in an intimate way that, that most of you don't. And that's kind of where we are with God. Right now, we're not in his house. The intimacy with him is, is still a little bit at an arm's length. He's close, but it's like there's some darkness there. Acts says that, that he's so close that we could reach out and feel after him in the darkness and find him. But, but there's still this, this cloud. But the promise is that we will dwell in his house, that we'll be intimate with him, that we'll get to see God in his PJs. Maybe that's a little sacrilegious, but you get what I'm saying, right? Okay. The trustworthy leadership and close presence of God and how they bring comfort to our souls are the, the themes of Psalms 23. And, and isn't this the theme of the entire battle that God is fighting with evil? We've been separated from him because of sin and he's drawing us back into his presence. He's dealing with the sin problem with his rod of iron and he's drawing us with his shepherd's staff so that we can live with him again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'd like to tell you a story. And if you don't mind, sing a song. Can I, can I ask my wife to come and sing with me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in a dangerous time in German history. Before most people recognized that it was happening, the, uh, the German government was taking charge of, of the Lutheran church and people didn't recognize it, but Dietrich and a few others did. And they, they ended up banding together and, and leaving the state church that had become a godless church, a state religion. And they started what, we, what they called the confessing church. And in this confessing church, Dietrich had uh, a, a revelation that was really significant. He said that this isn't just a, a religious form that we're going through. God wants a personal walk with us. He wants a Psalm 23 relationship with us. And, and he led his, uh, he, he started a seminary and he led his uh, uh, pastors in training through times of learning how to study the Bible devotionally and learning how to pray and, and singing songs together, things that just didn't happen in the church that Bonhoeffer had grown up in. And then he, he faced Hitler, who was leading their country down a very, very bad direction. And he reasoned as a philosopher, he's kind of a theologian and a philosopher, he reasoned in his mind that if there was a child two, three miles away and, and he saw that a drunk driver was coming careening down the road towards those children, wouldn't it be his responsibility to find some way to wrest that steering wheel from that drunk driver and protect those children? And so when the confessing church was shut down by the government, because of his last name and his dad's position in the government in the past, he found himself able to go into a, a, a secret, uh, an intelligence service of the, of the country 
that allowed him to get close to people who disagreed with Hitler. And he found himself in a place where he could oppose Hitler's regime. And they, they even found, I think, three times they tried to assassinate Hitler from inside his own government, and, and Bonhoeffer was part of that. His, his role was suspected. He was imprisoned. Immediately, uh, very shortly after he had asked the love of his life to marry him, he was put in prison. And ultimately, he was hanged for treason. During his short life, he wrote lots of books, he, he spoke widely, and he wrote some poems. And this particular poem, I think, is, is relevant and helpful for our situation in thinking about the, the Good Shepherd and thinking about our future and our recent past. The, the words are on the screen. The title is By Gentle Powers. Of course, that's the English translation. And uh, we're not going to sing it in German. Surrounded by such true and gentle powers, so wondrously consoled and without Will I spend with you these final hours and then together enter a new year by gentle powers lovingly surrounded with patience will Well 